Welcome to Talaterra, a podcast about freelance educators working in natural resource fields and environmental education. Who are these educators? What do they do? Join me and let's find out together. This is your host, Tanya Marion. Hi, this is Tanya. Thank you for joining us. In my work for this podcast, I develop episodes according to certain themes. One of these themes is interpreting place. Today, I am thrilled to introduce you to Alistair Duncan. Alistair is an award-winning artist and educator who uses sound to interpret place. He is also the founder and director of Stillwalks where he develops interactive projects with organizations from various disciplines. These projects promote understanding of the outdoors, as well as promote wellness. Today's episode will not have the usual closing segment, so I will tell you now to check the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. Thank you for stopping by today. I hope you enjoy learning about Alistair and how he uses sound to facilitate connections with the outdoors. Alistair, thank you so much for spending time with us today to talk about your work with Stillwalks. It's a pleasure. You created Stillwalks to provide outdoor experiences to anyone wherever they may be in the world. Your objective is to prompt people to go for a walk and if that's not possible, to then bring the outdoor experience to them. The attention that you give to the outdoors is impressive, and it's very moving. And listening to the videos and like autumn walks that you have on your uh, website, and the clips on your blog of the different walks that you go on, it provided me with the experience that I have every time I go to the Eastern Sierra, which is my favorite place to to hide and and hang out (laughs) and and that feeling is well let's see it's a realization really that when I'm out in the eastern Sierra that all of this exists while I'm out sitting still in traffic and doing all these other things that we do in our very built urban environment and you're so keyed in to sound and and the impression that sound can leave. You have a very long history with nature, is the impression that I get from from your work. And so what is your earliest memory of enjoying nature? Oh my, that would be from the Mourne Mountains in Northern Ireland, where I, I grew up. Although I was born in Scotland, um, I we moved to Northern Ireland in 1964. So I grew up there until leaving for college, whatever year that was, <laughs> long time later. But my my family had, my parents had a small uh, cottage up in the foothills of the Mourne Mountains. They They rented it for a pound a week, I believe, and it was very basic. There was no electricity, there was no running water, there was no toilet, and and it was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. We spent weekends there, we spent holidays there, and I learned to love the mountains, and later on climbing pretty much most of them in that range, as well as uh, others. I think that it, it must have been that more than anything else that, that really helped me to enjoy and appreciate all the uh, particularly natural environment around me and again in particular the mountain landscapes. So I have to mm-hmm. say I love the beach as well, mm-hmm. <laughs> particularly those lovely big open ones that we have in South Wales. When did you realise nature was important to you? When did I realise... Becoming conscious of the importance of that nature 
really goes back about 10 years to when just, well, a little while before I set up Still Walks. In my, my way of dealing with a period, first of all, of stress and overwork to the opposite of that brought about a, a situation where I really needed to deal with a level of both stress and depression. And that for me was walking. I'd always done a lot of walking anyway, but it went kind of uh, up the scale. And as I walked and walked in local woodland and on the beaches and in the mountains, over time I realised that I wanted to find some way of recording that experience. So I, I started out just with my phone, taking photographs of the the ground at my feet in particular, the root of the path. And as that idea developed, uh, a, a comment was made uh, to me by my sister, actually, when I, I showed her one of my draft tentative videos. She said, um, you know, if you didn't have this or that aspect in there, I think my some of my clients might like these. So I started thinking about it more seriously for, you know, as a potential resource for other people. And the the environment at that time, that, that recognition of the therapeutic value of it for me helped me to identify what it was I wanted to provide for other people and in particular that was an experience that could well as I use now the the, the tagline for still walks is bringing the outside in an experience that did not involve music if it was in any way kind of therapeutical I didn't want music involved because my experience of that is that <laughs> it's personal taste music and if you get the wrong one, it just rubs you up the wrong way. I recognise that there is absolutely a place for that, just as there is a place for the meditative or a meditation soundtracks and videos that you get where you're being guided through a meditation. There is absolutely a place for that. And But again, I didn't want voices. It, it feels, for me, like it would be a bit of an, an imposition. So I just want to try and get as, as close to the actual experience as I could. The, the, the most interesting thing I think, I think about that is the power that the sound has. And I noticed earlier, uh, Tanya, that you said you listened to the videos. You didn't watch them. You listened to them. Yeah, no, that's true. And <laughs> while the, the videos use still photography... There have been a number of people have made the mistake of thinking that they're actually moving video because that is the power of the audio. It, it animates those still images. Through my research and development of, of still walks, I, which I should say was initially funded by the Arts Council of Wales, I spoke to a number of different people, including the arts and health uh, team in on the Swansea Health Board. And discovered or that I should experiment with the ways in which the images were used, the kinds of images that I should use and, and, and so on. But it also helped me to see that still images are more are, are closer to our, our the way our memories work than video. With our memories we tend to see um, flashbacks or, or those memories as still images rather than moving images. That's not to say we don't kind of see video as well, but it, it's not nearly so common. And in fact, on, on uh, a couple of occasions, quite recently, somebody said that they felt like they had been there before watching one of the videos. It was like it was in their memory. And I thought, ah, oh, that's 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 it. That's exactly what I'm trying to do here, to make you feel at home in this place and that it is yours, that the, the videos are meant to try and transport you into that place. It is the audio that does that more than anything else. 
but as videos, the images are obviously very important as well. Yeah, the the nature experiences you provide are very detailed. They they're not, it's clearly not simply the result of you opening up the voice recording app on your phone and pressing the red record button. There's so much depth and so many layers there. Yet you don't you don't re- compose those sounds. I mean, intentionally, you don't necessarily go out to, with that in, intention. Is my my impression? Um, and well, in 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 actual fact, the the what I put on the Stillwalks blog posts are often um, kind of incidental. In that, I will m- maybe have gone for a walk, and all I have on me is my phone. So necessarily then I think, oh, I want to get this shot and oh, I could use it for for this post and, and so on. So I take photographs then with my phone and I record sound on my phone then as well. Although that is more problematic because the quality is not, particularly where wind is involved, as good as it could be. But for the Stillwalks videos, I would go out on a, on a production day. And uh, for... Uh, because I do that on my own, and I have a lot of kit to carry for that, that was one of the reasons that I, is still one of the reasons that I use the cameras that I do. They're three-quarter frame cannons that are a bit smaller, a bit more compact than the full-frame uh, DSLR cameras, but a little bit more easy, less weight to, to carry, along with the sound kit and so on. But it is important that the sound is recorded at the same time as the photography is done. And I get a lot more than is actually used. So a walk, uh, a production walk could take anything from three or four hours to seven or eight hours, depending on the the walk and, and what I'm capturing. And that's edited down to between, what, six and nine or ten minutes. So I might only be using 10% of the images that I take. And the soundscapes then are built around those images. Of course, I'm able to identify which sound recordings I've got are specific to the photographs that I'm using because they're all time-stamped. That doesn't mean to say I don't have some license to uh, bring in aspects of the walk that, you know, didn't, don't quite match up with the photos or whatever. But it is really important to get it as genuine as I can, because I know that there are those out there, quite rightly so, that if they heard a particular bird, perhaps, in this location... You don't get that bird in that sort of uh, environment. <laughs> Somebody would comment on it, they'd notice... So yeah, it's very important that it's very that it's genuine. And I think uh, remembering one of the other uh, points that I wanted to say about the that production process, the the audio that I record intentionally uses intermittently the sound of my footsteps along the route. And whilst there have been a few people, only a very few that have found the sound of the the walking disturbing. The vast majority of people have found it is the thing, more than anything else, that puts them into that, the environment of that walk. But I have to be careful about how they are presented to certain mm, groups of people, in that if uh, an encounter, for instance, with a dog comes up, Uh, dog barking or whatever, which is occasionally the case. In the notes that I would put with the videos that are going out to certain groups, I would identify those things. If there's anything that you need to be careful about in this, you watch another video, you know, because I don't want negative memories to be triggered. So that's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've done a lot of research into the impact nature experiences, the impact nature has on well-being and health and well-being. What have you learned about sound and where to find it and how to use it to interpret place? Sound, it's a very, very interesting area. There is no such thing as silence. 
they've they try, even where they try to produce a situation of silence. I can't remember the name of the the room that they have now. And one of them is in uh, Paris, where they've created a room environment where there is no sound getting in or out of that place at all. But as I understand, sitting in a space like that, you adapt and you start hearing your heart, your blood pumping. Because there are no other sounds, your brain tries to hear what is there, to perceive something, to give it sense to that environment, you know. So another aspect of sound is noise. Noise. Noise is a sound that is not being listened to. That's a quote. I can't remember who from. I read it recently. I thought, that is wonderful. Yeah. Noise is a sound that you're not listening to. If uh, I, Prior to reading that, I have walked in many different environments and I've produced still walks in different environments. They're not all natural. They are urban as well. One of my walks in Swansea, where, where, where I live, it follows the River Tawey down from a wooded area alongside the river into the town itself and a busy bridge over the river into the city with a lot of traffic and rumbling and, and, and so on, those urban sounds that you expect to hear. Even that, the video on the home page, I think it's the one in the park in Swansea, I may be wrong, it has the background sounds of the city in there. And sound is about listening. So that, that um, quote I, I mentioned of noise is a sound not being listened to, it, it, it rings a bell <laughs> with me. It makes me think of the sounds that we so often consider noise. But actually, when you start listening to them properly, in depth, you start to realise that there are many, many different layers to those sounds. Now, I'm going to qualify this in, in that I would agree that by listening, although listening to a sound that you would normally consider noise, if you listen to that, if you're listening to that all the time, it, it you may be able to hear the nuances of its different levels, its different peaks and troughs and so on. But that doesn't mean to say you want to do that all the time. And so it is almost inevitably going, inevitably going to go back to being noise, like the sound of traffic on the motorway, that kind of thing. But we really we're remarkable um, things, we human beings, and we have the ability to filter out what we don't want to a large extent. One of my favourite uh, walks locally is on our local salt marshes, tidal marsh on the river estuary where I live. And across that estuary runs the M4 motorway. And even in lockdown, when it became as quiet as it was 30 years ago (laughs) on a Sunday, it's not normally like that. But when I'm walking on the marshes, I'm listening to the wind in the reeds and the rushes, the grasses. I'm listening to the the sounds of the birds in the background, or perhaps they're not in the background. I'm watching and listening to the sounds of the water. And although the traffic is there, I'm not listening to it until I want to and then I can focus on that and I hear the the trundle of lorries or the squeaks and clanks of them as they cross the expansion uh, joints in the bridge and and that kind of thing. So yes, it's about our experience of listening and, and, and focusing on that that makes sound such a powerful thing. So bringing attention to different aspects of an environment through developing the soundscapes of the videos is very important. The the clank of gates, for instance, or the sound of footsteps changing as you go through a tunnel or over a wooden bridge, through grass, even different kinds of grass will give different sounds to to your feet swishing or rustling through it, you know. Yep, so so true. And and you know, most 
well, because we don't have the equipment that you have, <laughs> when you go out to record sound, a lot of those sounds go unnoticed. You do have the same equipment that I have, though. Mm. They're here. They're your They're ears. That's your equipment. Mm -hmm. I am very interested, though, at the moment in the experience of the world as perceived by people with different disabilities. Well, we call them disabilities. I should say different abilities. We are all different. Somebody who has an, a hearing impairment, for instance, will experience the audio of those videos differently. The images may be more important in bringing what sound they can hear, however they hear it, but not necessarily. It may be simply down to the vibration of sound waves. I'm working with, collaborating with um, Disability Arts Cymru at the moment. It's on hold for now because of the lockdown, but uh, I, I have been in the past and I will be in the future working with them to investigate more thoroughly the different perceptions that people with different abilities have in terms of experiencing sound, vision, touch and so on. Although um, when I say touch... That's also a bit of an issue at the moment with COVID-19 in that the work that I am doing with audio and my tapestry weaving as a, an artist involves interaction with the audience. And to date, that's been very successful where people have been able to touch the, the artworks and to a degree create their own sound piece because it being polyphonic you can touch uh, more than one sensor at a time but that was that has been very successful unfortunately with covid i'm having to explore other options as to to, to direct touch and again the perception of audio in relation to the rest of the world around us or in the case of an artwork the the work in, in front of you or around you, that perception or those different perceptions that we have is very important and how we interact with them. So yes, you do have the same equipment as I have in that you have ears and they, they work as they're intended to. It is true that recording sound kit can give you a different experience and in the walks that I have led, with groups of people, enabling them to listen to the environment through my headphones or shared headphones has been good. And But that's only because you can turn the volume up a bit, you know. Yes, the quality of the kit does make a difference, but it comes down to listening more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yes. No, yes. Absolutely. Good point. And you mentioned earlier, there's no such thing as silence. Mm. And I've had an experience in the Eastern Sierra on a long bike ride. It was a it was a, a century ride. And at some point I stopped a century ride being a hundred it was a hundred two mile bike ride through the Eastern Sierra. And at one point I stopped to see if I had reception because at one part of this course, a long part of this course, you don't have any reception. And so I had just left the most remote part of of this area of this course and I checked my phone and I stopped my bike and no one else was around me and I immediately noticed the silence and there was no wind there were no insects the highway was still too far away there, there was no sounds of cars there were no other cyclists and it was the most profound and the loudest silence I have ever heard and that was such a, a wild experience. And I just stopped and I just stood still, as still as I could to take that in. Because as I said, it was, it was loud. The silence was yeah. loud. And it was, it was, I don't know that I can, you know, there's a lot of places in the Sierras where you can be, have a quiet moment. Uh, but theirs was void of even like nature sounds. There was, yeah. there was nothing. I, I think you're 
expressing that silence as loud is mm. excellent. It it is an experience in itself. As as close as you can get to it, it is it is loud. It is expansive. It is all enveloping, and it is a wonderful experience. I think absolutely. Interestingly, if you if you Google silence, you will. Uh, or if you try it on YouTube or whatever, you will find various recordings of different people's perception of silence. It it, it could be interpreted, for instance, as uh, a lack of human sound, noise, interference or, or whatever. So the silence of the jungle, for instance, would naturally <laughs> include the sound of the birds and the monkeys, or, or whatever it may be, the animals there. The sound of the desert, however, doesn't have those things, just as you have, have, has, have described. I recognised a silence, inverted commas again, a while back in listening to a recording in an attic, a loft, yeah, in, in a, a space in a house that is not normally used to except to store things, yeah. And as I listened to whatever number of minutes it was of this silence, the atmosphere of that space in the house was so easily recognisable. It was strange. It, it's, a, it's, it's a unique space in a house. You know, it's one that we don't normally use except for that specific purpose of storing luggage or, or whatever it might be. And it's different to the rest of the house. Gradually, I could hear the distant sounds of traffic in the urban landscape or whatever, but it was very, very faint. And it had so much the, the atmosphere of uh, an attic room as opposed to a living room or, or wherever else. And yet it was, uh, it was close to silence, but uh, still had that atmosphere. And so you're experiencing the desert there where there is so little or apparently no sound at all I, I can I can I can visualize it. <laughs> I'd I'd love to experience it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was it was definitely a, a special moment. And I've also spent time in the field in the desert in out in the Mojave before sunrise. And and you mentioned the desert landscape and the sound there on a desert morning. It's the it's the color that has the sound. That makes the noise because it is, you know, there's one brief moment in the in the desert where the sun first hits the plants and there is this beautiful pinkish orange kind of and that's that is sound for for that that brief briefest moment in time. I uh, I and I suspect you um, um, don't actually have the synesthesia as it is called, the what interpretation of one sense to another, yeah, seeing words as colours or uh, whatever, sound as texture perhaps, but sound is a very important thing. And I think that both what, what you and I are, are describing here is almost synesthesia, you know, and our senses, as many of them as there are, it's not just the five normal senses that we think of normally. They are combined in our perception. And this is one of the reasons that I'm interested in, in uh, collaborating with people of different abilities, because their perception all round is quite different to mine or yours. But yeah, synesthesia, like that word. <laughs> You uh, mentioned that you are also a weaver and yes. you're a textile artist and that that work informed how you view texture and, and textures and sound. And you've mentioned that already, textures and sound. And you've also mentioned that you are looking for other ways to interpret place that doesn't inf in include touch. That doesn't involve touch. What are these other ways that you are exploring? Hmm. I well, one of the the first things that I am looking at is the actual sound that is used. 
in in integration with my weaving. So to date, my tapestries have included contact sensors and um, proximity sensors. Proximity sensors so far have not been ideal because they it's okay if you can control the environment around them but in gallery situations for instance light is changing and that kind of stuff thing so it's more difficult to control that touch sensors contact sensors are not going to be so practical for the future if covid has any kind of legacy that i expect it to have but the audio that you hear when that aspect of my work is triggered i think is going to be more important again i i want i'm i'm looking to find a way that the audio can mm, describe what is in the visual and tactile nature of the work so it will be the textures of sound that become even more important to date the themes, perhaps, of the content of the visual work and the content of the audio work have been more important. But I think that the, the, the texture of the sound, I'm going to try to relate more closely to the expected experience of touching the weave, for instance, or whatever other materials are being used because I, I work a lot with uh, metal as well in, in the weave and, and wire and, and stuff like that. So that's an important part of it. Actually, the the element of interaction and, and triggering the audio experience, there are many different possibilities for indirect touch. I mean, it could be footplates on the floor like they use in gaming. It could be audio itself. I mean, we, we interact with things like, what are they called? I don't have one. It's not the... What's the Amazon thing that they do? Oh, the... Kin- uh, no, not, not Kindle. Um, yeah, the voice, the Alexa. Yeah, Alexa, okay. that's Alexa. it. Alexa, mm-hmm, Echo mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a possibility. I, I've been experiencing sound in a different environment in the last few months in that I have been uh, working at Amazon, in fact, for a while now and listening carefully to the... <laughs> multitude of sounds in there it's it's fascinating when you listen you know but you know i mean they're using scanners in there all the time for instance and phones use qr codes so ar augmented reality is a potential vehicle for connection a virtual connection to trigger other aspects of uh, the audio in, in, in my weaving work. There's, there's many, many different possibilities that <laughs> hoping to be able to work on next month. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. You mentioned that you, you have current uh, project is uh, working with people with different abilities to experiencing the world a- around them. What other type of projects have you done in in that in that theme or in that line of work or other other projects involving sound and the outdoors well one of the things that partly i suppose brought me to uh, develop uh, still walks was the experience that i had built across many different projects both digital interactive and design and weave projects with schools and communities throughout South Wales. Those projects allowed me to get both get training and experience in uh, using sound recorders and recording voice as well as environmental sounds, doing photography and video and, and so on. A number of the projects included working with people with different learning disabilities, I call them Uh, or called them at the time. (laughs) The terms are changing all the time. There have been one or two projects that I've done through Disability Arts Cymru where I have been working specifically with people with uh, autism, uh, Asperger's syndrome. And one of the pieces, one of the projects that has been cancelled 
or postponed for the moment was to work with children with uh, autism and Down syndrome in London where I have an exhibition booked that will hopefully come off next year now instead of this year. So I've got a, a fair degree of experience in working with people with all sorts of issues, but you're always learning, always learning. As I say, everybody's perception of the world is different, whatever your abilities. So you need to be continually on the watch and on the listen for how people are reacting to things and adjust your approach accordingly. One of the things that I would be doing with, will be doing, I hope, with uh, the, the children next year, with along with uh, a solo exhibition I have in near London, is uh, to take them uh, on a walk round uh, with their helpers around the gardens, the Sunbury Walled Garden. Uh, in Sunbury-on-Thames is where the exhibition is to be and where the workshops will be done and we will be listening to the sounds of that garden the people, the water, the birds the wind and the roses and, and, and things like that and we'll be looking at my exhibition and experiencing the sounds of those and looking for reactions from those individuals the translation we talked about synesthesia earlier on. The translation from one medium to another is important in this respect in that whether it be people with uh, autism or any other learning disability or, or whatever, one of the ways that I have worked in the past in schools is to ask as a starting point for a project the children and adults to to do mark making with different materials. Charcoal, of course, is a great one because you get so messy with it. Some people can't um, cope with that, but others can. Mm -hmm. But when you ask people to use the charcoal or whatever medium it is vigorously or be angry with it or be calm and smooth and gentle and follow the line of a bee or whatever... They are challenged in their expression and their inhibitions. And some will open up and go crazy with it. And, and others, it's a major challenge and, and they find it very difficult. But either way, the translation from one medium to another, as with the, the audio to visual and, and, and vice versa, it is releasing it allows people then to say, oh, I, I, I can do this. And, and so many people say to me that they can't draw. I thought, if you can put a mark on a piece of paper, you can draw. And, and that's what it's all about, expressing yourself, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you've mentioned in a previous conversation we've had is that you've brought still walks to places like the immigration centers, Yes, yes. And prisons. And Describe that work for us. A major project that we have ongoing at the moment, uh, I say we because with Stillwalks Distribution Limited, I have a co-director in Paul Allen. I think his profile is on the Stillwalks website as well. Is to work with people in an immigration removal centre in Britain where although the numbers are down there at the moment because of the COVID situation, it normally has quite a high level of occupancy. Now, um, not getting into any of the politics of, of that sort of issue, the fact of the matter is that the people that are in that kind of situation, whether it be an immigration removal centre or a prison, they're in a position, along with the staff that work there, that is highly stressful. If you're locked away or in a situation like that where you have no access other than through a screen, for instance, to the outside world, things can easily kick off and, and situations arise where that, that need to be calmed down quickly. 
And so for over the last uh, year, we have been introducing Stillwalks videos to both the staff um, of the centre and the uh, detainees there. To date, they have had a very good response. We are currently experimenting with uh, VR video, virtual reality, because the demographic of the, the, the people that are detained there, I think, will respond more immediately, more effectively to that kind of a uh, natural environment as it presented through VR than the more meditative videos the, uh, that there are still walks. That's not to say that the standard still walks videos, which are meditative, are not of use. They are most definitely of use in that they are very calming. They prompt you through repeated use to look more carefully, to listen more carefully. And in my own experience, as well as others, as you watch and listen to videos multiple times, if I'm making notes on what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, they're different every time. There will be some similarities, but they're different every time. And it just amazes me that that is so true. So with with that particular delivery and with the, the VR, with VR it is expected with the standard videos, we already do facilitation training so that the staff are able to deliver the benefits of the Stillwalks videos to the people they're working with, as well as understand them and how they can be used more effectively themselves. And there's different levels to that facilitation and understanding of the use of the videos. The, the VR experiment will uh, be taking off soon. And we've got um, a couple of examples there that we, as drafts, they'll be using the VR headsets. But given the situation that they're going to be used in, they will need to be facilitated as well. So that's that's going to be the next stage of our training for that. But one of the things that I have identified at this stage is that using a VR, it is more effective to use video as opposed to still images. I reserve the right to go back on that. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> But uh, it's interesting how different the VR experience is. It gives you a much more, a greater overview of the environment that you're in, which you could then go and investigate in more detail if it's in a uh, more meditative still walks video on on a flat screen, you know. It's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So how are the meditative videos and the VR used. At this point in the project, can you explain that, how that is implemented in a, in um, a Well, they're like most um, basic. The, uh, the Stillwalks videos are uh, provided to you, the, the client, that is, as a collection of videos. There are some, obviously, on the website that are available to anybody. And, of course, the blog is always there, but I specifically don't use video uh, on that, except on one or two occasions. But you are... Given a collection of videos which, from which you can pick one to choose from, and there is guidance provided at the at the start where it is suggested that you stop. You select the video you want to watch, you switch off your mobile phone, you sweep everything else aside, you, you've made the selection of your video, you put it full screen if that's relevant, And then before you start watching, you sit back in your chair, you take a deep breath, let it out slowly, relax your shoulders, and then click play. And I I don't have it at the moment on my screen, but I went through quite a long period of where I sat up on my computer screen because I was working at the computer every day, 12 o'clock, notification would come up, watch a Stillwalks video. And I could ignore it or I could watch one, you know, but it was a prompt to do that. And more often than not, I would uh, watch a video and follow my own guidance within the first couple of minutes of a five to eight minute video. If I weren't actually sort of in that place and completely relaxed, I was aware of the fact 
I was conscious of it. So being, if still walks is about awareness of your environment, it's also about awareness of yourself, ultimately. People have often used the term mindfulness when I talk in this way. It's not a word that I use because I know that different people understand or how yeah understand mindfulness in different ways have different experiences of it i don't mind them using that if they come to that term that's fine but for me it is a more mm, incidental thing of regularly using still walks as a, a tool a resource to manage stress and anxiety yes and, and depression as well certainly in my case by putting yourself into these situations if it is possible to get out because you have legs you can walk on then I hope they do act as a prompt to both go out and walk and to be more aware of your surroundings if it's not possible for whatever reason and that might just be rain in Wales <laughs> then it can bring the outside in do you have plans to write about all your projects? Do you have a, a book in your future, do you think? Or do you write research papers as you complete each of your, your projects, your, be it your exhibition work, the work that you do with different groups in your community? This has been asked to me so often. <laughs> write a book, write a book. And I have thought of it frequently. The closest I've come to uh, a book is to put a, a small a digital one up on blurb and it simply consists of a short introduction and some and captions with selected images that I've been particularly pleased with and that I think that other people will like the as far as writing about the still walks work is concerned I have certainly had to do that on any number of occasions both in the form of uh, reports for funding that I have received and in in selling it I suppose to potential clients and in, in explaining what it is about and how it can work the benefits that it can bring We've done a lot of research in, in that respect and in, indeed some very important stuff having come from the, the United States, specifically the Oregon State Penitentiary. They had been doing a, a project with their uh, prisoners to, I think they called it a blue room, where prisoners were taken when a situation looked like it was about to flare up. And there, again, the feedback on that was uh, very positive and that they enjoyed that environment. It helped calm them down and, and, and deal with that. And that, that is not only important to the, the prisoner, obviously, in, in that situation. It is extremely important to the staff. Then the other piece more recently, which actually is, is a piece of research that I was has been done in various places and I have been aware of for some time, but this specific one came from the States, where research had been done with a small number of people to look at the effects of having, uh, when in hospital, having a, a natural view outside their ward window to trees and so on, or having the view of a brick wall. <laughs> and it was notable, the, the difference that it made to the recovery time of those people and the medication they required as well, that were looking, able to see the trees outside. There's been uh, any. Uh, there's been research done all over the world on umpteen occasions by almost every country you could name into the benefits of the natural environment on on our mental well-being. The one of the most important for me, the start of Still Walks, was from the University of Exeter, where they had found that using green images as opposed to red. Green images, a green environment, was um, more, much more positive to the in, in bringing down heart rate, muscle tension, blood pressure, and so on. And 
and that that that's something that can be measured just as they were measuring doses and recovery time in America. These, those things that are measurable. We haven't done a, a, a clinical trial in this respect yet. That would take quite a lot of time. We do not promote still walks as a, in any way, a, a, a medical resource. It is, yes, it's therapeutic, but that's a different matter altogether. That's wonderful. That is wonderful, Alistair. What's next for you? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I think, as I've said already, the ongoing project with the um, IRC, the Immigration Removal Centre, with the VR, that is a, a very exciting one and has, over the next year, the contract's been renewed to, to continue with the trial. We'll be looking very closely at that and, and it's very exciting. If, as I think we expect, that proves successful, then we'll want to look to rolling that out to a wider audience. And I think that I would will want to use it, however, as a bridge for some people to using the more in-depth... Is it more in-depth? Yes, I, I, the way I think of it is the more in-depth experience and, and meditative experience of uh, the Stillwalks videos. We, we, we do have Stillwalks with other organisations as well. As I said, I've, I've, I've led walks with people on, uh, in, through mental health organisations. I've done mental health first aid training myself. And one of the organisations we have, the OTs, the occupational therapists are in their, going into their fifth year, actually, of using this with individuals that have complex needs in an environment up in the north of England. And it's not just autism, it's a lot of other things, and they have found it very beneficial for individuals in that community. So yeah, taking that further would be good. To be honest, I would love everybody to be able to take advantage of these things. And there are a lot of resources out there that people can and do uh, use. I'd like Stillwalks to be one of those with a, a, a wider audience. So, I, again, once we gain greater confidence through the proof of its uh, efficacy, then I think that we'll be able to, that we will be in a position to uh, promote it more widely and more confidently. <laughs> 